Hot mic? We have a hot mic. And we have hot coffee. Hot mic, hot coffee. I feel like this is the this is a Blues Brothers line waiting to happen. We do not have sunglasses on. Nor do we have half a pack of cigarettes. It is. No, it's not dark. This is just after the summer solstice. Welcome to the Play Ed Podcast, where we explore cultivating connections through play. Hello and welcome to the Play Ed Podcast. I'm your host, Laura. And I'm Chris. And we are here today to explore cultivating connections through play. So, before we get started on today's discussion, I have a favor to ask of all of our listeners. I would like to ask you that if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review our show. It helps new listeners find us. And also, wherever you are listening to us, if you would please share the next episode that we put out. It helps, again, other people find us. We're trying to grow our audience, and you are part of how we, how we do that. Thank you for that. Now, on to today's discussion. Fatigue and failure. So we've talked a lot the last several episodes about gaming with kids. That's the main theme of the show. And we've talked about some successes we've had with adapting more complex games to younger people and finding games that little people can play, especially preliterate people. And eventually we'll start talking more about games with the, your older children um, and as they and then with peers and so forth. But I want to take a step back because it's very easy in a sort of social media curated world to get a distorted impression of things. And we don't always have success when we adapt a game or try to adapt a game. Sometimes the board gets flipped, the pieces get flung. And there are tears. Sometimes that's because one of the adults can't adult any longer. Yeah. In fact, I think in the last month we've had two grand examples of that happen. And both of them were cases where one or both of us was utterly exhausted. And I'm I'm sure most of our audience is always, always on top of their game. Well-rested... Sharply chiseled jaw, lit just right as you cruise through life and parenting and work. Not overscheduled. No missteps. Everything executed perfectly. Right. Yeah, I, I can't even say that with a straight face here in the studio. Mm-hmm. So, when we're looking at gaming as a tool for education, as well as connection a, building, as well as connection building, whether it's just the family fun night that keeps you a family, not just a group of people living in the same building, or it's actually a part of how you're enriching education. Um, there's three basic rules that we find are kind of key to keeping it something that's actually effective. And the first of those rules is that you need to understand the game before you play the game. That's really key to leadership. You don't necessarily need to know everything, but you do need to know where you're going. What's the point of the game? How does gameplay work? Because if you're going to lead a game, 
you need to be at least one step ahead of everyone else. Right. And and there's there are parallels in in work and in teaching where you can't hand on what you haven't received. You can't hand on what you don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very ancient maxim, uh, but it applies to to games as well. Mm-hmm. That you can't you can't lead others in playing the game if you don't know what's coming and what you're doing. Correct. The other two, and I'll touch on them briefly, are that once you know the game, the game is what does the teaching. And your job is a facilitator. You're not trying to teach the stuff the game is doing it. The game does the work. And so what you need to do is know it well enough to trust the game to do the job. And it only does that if you've already got step one. If you understand enough of the game that you can play it and lead everyone through playing it with relative ease. Right. You don't. We're, what we're trying to say here is you don't stop and didactically explain. Well, now this this decision is going to force you to choose among scarce resources. You just play the game, and you play the game over and over again, and you explain the rules. You explain how to get to the victory conditions. You let the child experiment with different routes to playing the game. You don't necessarily explain the mechanics or the underlying lessons that they're being taught um, until maybe years later when you can tell them, hey, remember when we were playing Monopoly, my favorite example, you were learning place value in an intuitive manner. Yeah, let them, is it induce or deduce? I can never remember the difference between inductive and deductive logic, but you let them figure out the lessons don't go in with, and the moral of today's story is... Yes, this is not an Aesop's fable, and I think it was the Victorians who tacked those on anyway. Uh, the Greeks put some of those in, but... Probably so. The third point. The third point is to keep it in the learning zone, not in the frustration zone. Ah, uh, very important. And I think it actually ties back very neatly for parents, because what ends up happening is that if you don't know the rules going into the game the game is going to rapidly end up in your frustration zone. You don't learn things once you hit that area. No one does. Where you are tired and you're beginning to not understand and the demands on your attention are greater than your supply of attention is. And children are very perceptive. So they look to us as parents to provide stability and structure. And I think parents who've experimented with being very unstructured may have learned that, particularly with toddlers and young children, but even up through middle age, you know, middle school, teenage years, uh, the the less structure you provide, uh, the more stressed stressed children are. Well, learning learning functions within that same ecosystem, mm-hmm. uh, for lack of a better term that if i am trying to learn something and i get frustrated because i can't figure it out that's when i stop learning yeah it's not that i'm not trying hard enough it's that the brain will shut down the building of new neural connections when you hit a certain stress level and that's hardwired into people all people are like this everywhere we may have different stress tolerances, mm-hmm. but there's plenty of, of neurological research that backs up and experiential teaching where there's a point at which you're learning something 
it's enjoyable, you're learning something, it's enjoyable and difficult, and then when it crosses that hair's breadth threshold, it becomes frustrating. And when you hit that point of frustration, when any learner hits that point of frustration, regardless of the topic, regardless of the motivation, the learning will stop until you back up and can clear the blockage that is creating the frustration. Mm -hmm. Very hard for parents to learn, really hard for homeschooling parents to learn. It's even hard for some teachers in a classroom setting to learn that part of that experience of of getting into a classroom and teaching anything is learning to read your students and say, where's that point where, where you've lost some of them? And even outside of a classroom context, I've seen this in the workplace, I've experienced this in the, in the workplace, and it's very, it was very instructive. It changed my management style when training and onboarding new employees or teaching new skills to people completely changed it once I discovered this uh, through the research we did in second language acquisition. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that's actually part of where I learned some of this. I took a class in teaching uh, second languages, and one of the key points that the uh, instructor gave us is that you have to watch everyone that you're working with and watch for the first person who lo- who you lose because that's who you're teaching toward. You may have someone who's really bright and on top of things and that's wonderful, but you're looking for that one person who they got lost and they're not going to learn another thing past that lost point. They can't skip it and just keep going. And that's the important thing to remember is that you can't push through frustration. It just compounds it, and you'll end up with a situation where nobody's enjoying what they're doing. So before we get too far into the weeds on educational theory and pedagogical technique and all the other stuff that we could talk endlessly about, um, let's let's give our view our, our listeners what they probably want to hear, which is more stories about you know me throwing tantrums. And game boards. Yes, because this is really about somehow us finding our own inner five-year-old, which is the only way you can ever teach your (laughs) five-year-old. So very true. So we had an experience earlier this month, late last month. You had been recovering from a knee injury. and So I was laid up immobile, which makes me cranky anyway. And we had already planned, as part of our grand plans for the weekend, we were setting aside our Sunday afternoon. We had set up the game board for one of our games that we've been working on learning. It's uh, by GMT Games. It's called Dominant Species. It's a really fun game. If you've ever played Settlers of Catan, then you'll be familiar with some of the aspects of gameplay. It had a a hex-style map board. You had... Each player plays a different species in a period before a coming ice age. And your game is racing against the coming ice age to try to get your species to spread and flourish and become the dominant species. It is complex. It has a lot of moving parts as far as game elements go. It's a bit of work to learn it. It's fun and it's understandable enough that my seven-year-old, who I think is a bit of a natural tactician, was already figuring out elements of how to win the game. However, Chris... Oh, yeah. Not one of my shining moments as a parent. 
I was already tired. It had been a it had been a couple of months since we had last played it. Yeah. So, and I did not make the time to review the rules and um cert- and I, I didn't make the time to prepare to to play the game with the kids. I we we set up the board and we started playing and we got to some events in the game that we hadn't reached before. Mhm. And we elected to play the game over several days, just a couple of hours or so at a time, so that we could actually get through a full game rather than pull it out, spend half an hour, 45 minutes setting it up, play through one turn, and then pack it up and put it away, which historically is what we had been doing. But I was tired. I was aching because my knee was injured. I was trapped in in my chair. I prefer to stand and walk. I prefer to walk around when I talk. I prefer to walk around when I think. And I really prefer to walk around when I play games. Sitting and playing a game, like sitting and doing schoolwork, was torture for me. But I was trapped, my knee was injured, and it hurt to stand on, walk on, kneel on. So all I could do is pretty much sit and look from afar. And... I was paired up with our, at the time, four-year-old. He just turned five. But at the time, and he decided he had one strategy. It had nothing to do with the victory conditions of the game. There was one thing that he wanted to do. And I was fine. Do that. But as we played through, I became very, very confused as to what phase of a turn were we on? What rules applied? What, how... I, I got lost in the mechanics, and I lost sight of the victory conditions, and as I asked everybody to slow down or stop and re-explain them to me, they made less and less sense. I was well into the frustration zone. I had shut down, I was tired, I was cranky, and quite frankly, I threw a tantrum before Laura, bless her, just said, Chris, go to bed, and... That's exactly what I ended up doing. Which is to say, it's not always your toddler who's going to be tired and cranky and frustrated and flip the board and sulk away and needs a nap. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's you. Sometimes it's me. So I think from that standpoint, one of the keys that you want to have if you're going to have a successful game session, if you're tired... Play a game you can play on autopilot. It's yeah, that's that's really a key is that don't play a game don't 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 convince yourself that unless you're somehow perfectly well rested and you've done your meditation or prayer and you're at one with the universe and everything's harmonious and you've got beautiful music the, the that sort of advertising vision of life. You don't need that. You can be dog-tired, burned out, stressed with your job, and still give time to your kids. You can still give time to your kids playing games. But if that's where you're at in this stage in life, whether it's this week, next week, whether it's a whole year of being burned out and exhausted, play a game you know how to play. Play a card game you know how to play. Play a board game that's familiar. Mm Mm-hmm. So... If you're in, if you're in a tired place, start with the familiar, the ones that you're not confused about. How do you win? What's the order of play? 
Another suggestion that I would have in the same vein, if you're going to play a game that you're not familiar with, don't do it when you're not ready to. Yeah, yeah. And that's That's been a, a point of contention a few times over the years as we've been experimenting with this. Now, the thing is, you can learn new games even when you're tired. But the thing is, you have to learn them on your time. So, there are aids out there for learning new games. In fact, there are a ton of them. Um, as I started uh, dipping my toes into um, game uh, the, the game community on Twitter... Uh, I discovered all kinds of aids out there, blogs, YouTube channels. I'll go ahead and put links to some of those in the show notes that have play instruction videos so that for a lot of games, you have purchased one. It looks fun. You've read good reviews. Maybe we talked about it on the show. Your next step is how do I learn this thing? You can find videos. But what you want to do is you want to watch that playthrough video and read through the instructions before you sit down and play the game. And if you've got your kids saying, wait, we want to play this, we want to play this, you've got to be at that point to say, you know what? I'm not ready to play this one. I need to first learn it. Why don't we play and give, suggest a familiar game instead? Right. And then take the time and commit to learning that one that they want to play because you've got them engaged and interested, but they're not going to have fun if you haven't figured the game out and it ends in being a an hour of frustration as you're flipping through the rulebook trying to figure out gameplay. In fact, I had that experience this week. Yeah. Yeah, the kids all told me about it when I got home from work. Yes. <laughs> so sometimes you think that you're well-rested when you're not. In fact, this is the state that I live in. Big surprise, I'm Chronically sure. Chronically sleep-deprived. With, with six kids, I have no idea how that would happen. Yes. So... We do school in the summer. Um, it's mostly because we live in a place where summer is ridiculously hot. And so with the exception of going to the pool, you really don't want to go outside. That's a recipe for cabin fever. We usually ha take some breaks in autumn and in spring when so the yeah, weather is So Texas gets like three weeks in the spring and three weeks in the fall of good weather. And so we generally just let the kids play to their heart's content. But summer is miserable, and winter can actually be pretty ugly. It's not harsh the way Midwestern and Northern winters are with, you know, 39 feet of snow outside. But muddy muddy and rainy and great conditions for just everybody being sick. That's the other thing. We tend to get sick and with as many kids. It just gets passed around. And yeah. We'll pass over all that in silence. But anyways, since it's summer, we had started up our summer school thing. So we've got... A much fuller day than usual. We have got swim lessons in the evenings. So we are very busy, very scheduled. My brain capacity is pretty much full for this week. And we had had a flood of new games enter the house because we had a couple of birthdays, uh, including one that my oldest son had picked up for his younger brothers at a gaming convention. This game is adorable. It's a cooperative game. Is that Monster Trap? Monster Trap. Monster Trap. Oh, the, the, the illustrations are charming. I can't wait for the kids to teach me how to play. Oh, yes. And you will love it. And this, the really ridiculous thing is that it was one aspect of the rules. 
there was one small aspect of the rules that as I was reading through, trying to learn the game Your as we're just playing slid it, over. Oh yeah, just completely missed. And the problem is, is that it was the one key rule of the gameplay that makes the difference between the game being winnable at all and not even possible. <laughs> That's a pretty important single line of text to miss. Yes. And the fact was, I simply didn't have the attention capacity. And this is actually a place where I pull in a point of learning theory, which I think is really important to learn from both the parent aspect and the student aspect. Our brains sometimes work really great on autopilot. There's a lot of stuff that we can do without thinking. Anything that you've learned to the point where it's habit, you can do with very little attention. So I can run a D&D game based on just what's in my head, as long I, I don't even really need dice, but dice help. Mm-hmm. And I have, in fact, done pickup games of D&D with groups of up to 15 or 20 people with no prior preparation. I can play solitaire while holding a conversation about philosophy. And I've seen you do that. But I've been in those conversations. Yes, with you. you have. As I sit there and it's like, oh, I've got a queen. And I keep on going. So there are things that you can do in your life that you do without a whole lot of thought. Your brain is engaged, but it's not the sort of thing where you have to stop and consider it. Um, in a realm of easy comparison, just about anyone, if I ask you two plus two, you automatically answer four. It's a math fact so drilled into your head that you don't have to think through, all right, if I've got two things and I've got another two things, that would be, you don't, you just know it. But if I give a slightly more complex thing, 17 times 24, um, that's the sort of- Wait, let me get my calculator. You can do it mentally, but it takes a little bit more effort. Um, and that that effort level is a draw on your attention. Right. And the thing to keep in mind is that when you're already, as a parent, having to keep attention on multiple things, I'm keeping attention on every single one of my children and monitoring their stress level. I'm keeping attention on the clock and knowing that if I don't stop by 3 o'clock, we're going to have to get takeout for dinner. <laughs> true i'm paying attention to the laundry which needs to be moved into the dryer once i stop hearing it swish i'm <laughs> i'm paying attention to a lot of stuff already just as part of the daily routine ma- that routine. you're engaged in so on top of all of this i am now adding something new to my attention level. I'm having to pay attention to minute details of rules. so That, that you I... haven't read before for a game you've never played before. Yes. It's new to you. I'm not starting from a place of rest. I'm not starting from a place of being rested. We might need to expand on this concept of the place of rest. But finish your thought before I further interrupt you. And as a result... I'm already working at a bit of a deficit since I am somewhat, I have some executive dysfunction, what we, what we call attention deficit. And my ability to prioritize things and handle detailed tasks in order is already a little bit fuzzy. So 
I've got a smaller store of attention already to work with. I need to have my life very ordered to take on new tasks. Right. With, yeah. Very ordered life with a house full of kids. So you can imagine my stress when I'm tackling a new game. Unprepared. On the fly. Under a time constraint. Because there's that whole prep dinner, finish the laundry. Uh, I think we had swim lessons that evening also, which is why you had to stop by 3 to do dinner so we could feed everybody by 4.30 so we could get to the pool for 5.30 for lessons at 6 or something like that. It It was a very, very tight schedule. As a result... And I wasn't home. I was working at the office that day. So we get the, the, the game set up, and I'm, I'm working my way through, and I, I sort of kind of understand how the game works. Sort of. And I had missed the key point that says that you've got the first player, and that everyone plays around before you get to the resolution part where the monster in the game moves forward one step on his path. So, so the monster was moving one step after each player's turn? Instead of after a full round of players. Oh. There was no way we were going to be able to complete the objectives that make the game work. It just wasn't possible. Right. And I missed it because I was tired. So how did that get discovered? That got discovered once we got to the point where... The the object of the game is to collect pieces to make traps to trap this monster and successfully trip all of the traps so that it can't get back to its uh, get to the farm and steal a sheep. Okay. The monster got past the first trap before we even got one piece to to it to start assembling it. And somebody started thinking there was something wrong with that. Well, my oldest child, who had already looked over the rules and had been arguing with me the whole time that I had it wrong, correctly, I will add, (laughs) got very frustrated, realized that the game was impossible, and his rule, I thought, was, why on earth are we going to even keep playing it? I have later since convinced him that it's a great game, and yes, we should play it again. We just need to play it correctly next time and actually follow the rules. But the lesson that I took away from this is that don't let yourself get pulled into a game that you don't understand. We, that, that, that almost reiterated, we were, I was trying to play uh, Pericles, GMT's Pericles with the family, what, eight weeks ago? Yes. And that I was sh- a couple of months ago. And I should make clear for our listeners, this is a game that is very challenging even for adult players. So, And I had not... Read through the rules as thoroughly as I needed to, and I could not figure out some elements of the setup just in order to play the really introductory scenarios, um, which are still fairly complicated. And I got frustrated, and because we had we were going to play this game on this day, but we only had a certain amount of time, and setup took longer than I hoped, and. On and on. So then I had to spend some time finding some of those how-to-play videos, looking up stuff online. And, and the game designer is alive and active on Twitter. And Which is more than can be said for some of the games we play. Yes, yes. The, the, there's an active community supporting people wanting to play this game that is not lacking in resources. 
we just hadn't allocated them before we started to play. Right. So, um, so it, it, it ended up being frustrating because the kids were disappointed. We had this board almost set up, but not quite. And I couldn't figure out the last bits of it. And I got frustrated. And then they were disappointed because we didn't get to play a game. So the next week I was like, all right, let's play something I know how to play. So I pulled out Avalon Hills Advanced Civ and we started playing through that. And then like half the kids got bored and wandered off, which that, I mean, that happens when you've got younger kids playing games. Not everything is going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the key thing is make sure you know what you're doing. That you've you're comfortable with the game, the rules, the parts, the pieces, and the victory conditions, so that you can help guide a new player, not necessarily to winning, but to at least feeling like they have played effectively and they can learn to play better, so that they will want to play again. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm currently trying to teach um, my seven year old chess, and he's been itching to learn chess, but he finds it very frustrating that he can't win. So I explained to him that one of the things you have to remember, whether it's in life or in chess, you're not going to win every game, especially when you're new and you're just trying to learn how to move the pieces. Once you know how to move the pieces, then we can start working on patterns, tactics, openings, mid-game play, closings, trying to force a checkmate and dominate the board. And by no means am I a rated chess player. So if I sat down with a real chess player... I'm going to get my butt handed to me. But the the orders of magnitude between my skill level and my seven-year-olds are such that unless I deliberately go out of my way to lose a game, he's not going to win. Uh-huh. But there is value in that losing while you learn, but seeing there's a way to get from a state of ignorance or those first halting steps as a novice into mastery. Mm -hmm. And it comes through repetition. So you have to do, you have to create the conditions where the child will understand that given time and experience, they will get better. And you have to start from a place where you've got that perspective yourself. Right. And so that's why you teach chess and I don't. Right. I barely remember how to move the pieces. And I'd be happy to teach you again. Yes. But the fact is, is that I am not a good person. With to what teach- time? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a good person to teach chess because I'm sitting there thinking, all right, I'm pretty sure that the knight, which way do the bishops move? Yeah. I would be a horrible person to teach chess because I don't understand enough of the game to be able to pass it along and be in a place where I can be those steps ahead of my children. Right. And so... I think from a sort of what's the take home when you're tired, play what you're familiar with just so that you can have the game experience with your children rather than be in a state of frustration. And remember the novelty for the kid. The game may be new to the kids, even if it's old hat to you. And for most kids, it doesn't matter what you play. They just want to spend time with you. I had a coworker, um, a boss for a while, uh, and and a, and a dear and valued friend. No children of his own, but he's the favorite uncle of all of his nieces and nephews. 
He's the favorite uncle because he's the one who buys whatever the toy is, the Lego set or the doll's house or whatever. And then he's the one that spends the next four hours on the floor with the child playing with the toy. They love the big toys and he is he's in a position where he can buy those and everybody has fun. But what makes him the favorite uncle is that he does what their parents can't or won't. He gets down on the floor and he just spends undivided attention with the kids. Now, that's not something I can necessarily do with my own children. It's not necessarily something I'm advocating you go forth and do. But what I want to stress on that is he's the favorite uncle, not because of the stuff he gets, but because he spends the time. Mm -hmm. And so for the kids, it's the time with you that's most important. So even if you're just playing war or rummy or old maid with cards or just playing Mancala, one of the best games we bought years ago was a cheap Mancala set. Some glass beads, carved board. I don't know if you're familiar with Mancala. We'll put a link in the show notes. But Mancala is a great game because it's so simple. Anyone can play it. You can play it mindlessly and still have a chance at winning. But like chess or like, um, not Mahjong, uh, is it Go or what's what's the one with the black and the white tiles that flip? The little... The, I know that when you're thinking about it, when I remember it... I it's like Go or... Othello? Or, uh, yeah, I think Othello is one of the brand names, but they're all basically variations on Go, I believe. Yes. Um... Pente can be played that way too. There, there are some games that if you know how to play them and they're deceptively simple to learn in terms of mechanics, as long as you know what you're doing, you can play that endlessly with a child. I can play chess almost mindlessly with some of my children. Some of them have gotten good enough that if I'm not engaged, they are going to beat me. Mm-hmm. And they are going to beat me black and blue six ways from Sunday. Yes. But... That key point of play something simple and familiar when you are tired. Simple and familiar to you. Yes. Um, I don't trust that the we'll we'll get into the other two in greater depth in future episodes, but still trust that the game itself is going to teach the lessons. You don't need to explain what's being taught. Just play the game. Yeah. Spend time with your child or children. Focus on them. Listen to their concerns. If they're just learning the game. Give them the option to change their choices. Help them understand the consequences of their actions. And then recognize that if part of your role as the facilitator of the game is to be paying attention to things like the state of your children's frustration levels, then you need to manage your own frustration levels by when you decide to learn a new game, allocate the time to learn it first. That way... If you are recognizing, hey, I have found games that I'm excited about, that I'm interested, that are going to enrich what we're working with, learn them before you try to play them. That way, you're only worrying about managing your children's frustration, not your own. And I'll note another resource. We had mentioned that there are some Twitter feeds. There's YouTube channels. Um, you can find a lot of information. Some of the game designers host their own websites where they provide information or they're active on various social media. 
Something else is that a lot of the board game companies now have partnered with software development firms to release electronic versions of the games. Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily standalone computer games. They're computerized versions of the board game. Um, I know Vassal's popular, and that that actually, the terms of service for Vassal, if I remember correctly, require you to own a, a physical copy of the board game in order to use the digital assets. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not, they're not necessarily being sold as video games. But I have friends who play um, a couple of GMT's games through the Vassal um, electronic versions just to get a feel for how should the mechanics play out. Mm-hmm. before they sit down and, and open up the board and lay it out and with all the physical parts and the time commitment that comes with playing some of those games with their kids. So using it less as a substitute and more as a, a tutor. Right. And I, I think that's pretty much where... The, I think that covers sort of where we were hoping to go with this uh, topic. Probably, but we like to hear from our listeners... If you have further questions, if you have comments, if you have insights, if you have your own stories about, you know, having the, discovering your inner five-year-old in the middle of a tantrum, uh, please share them with us. You can write to us at playedpod at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at playedpod. And we also have a Facebook page at playedpodcast. So please... Tell us your thoughts, and until next time, thanks for listening. Have a good one. Bye. And then when it crosses that that hair's breadth threshold, hair's breadth threshold, say that three times fast.